to that sound. Good morning, Mr. Albat joining us now. We are talking about the state bird. I don't think the mosquito is it, though, do you? No, and uh, I'm not seeing really any of any great number yet. Thank so, goodness, uh, right? I mean, I've been trying to get all my lawn work done now that it's still a little cool and the mosquitoes aren't out yet. It's it's like this big rush because once they come out, it's not fun at all to be out. And hearing about the 90-degree temperatures, you know, the, They're coming. the good part about that is gardening should be safe now. It's, what a what a year! It's just every time you uh, think you should get out there and do something, you look at the weather report and it says you know into the 30s. And if you got a low spot, you're thinking, well, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe I should wait a little while. It's not going to do much. So boy, a lot of late gardens I think this year. Been looking at a book here. Uh, somebody sent it to me from Workman Publishing Company out in New York, and it's uh, Oakley the Squirrel. The Search for Z, and it's, a, as you might guess, it's a kid's book, uh, photos of squirrels. In this particular squirrel's looking for the letter Z, so he looks through the acorns and uh, he looks through the newspapers, goes through the whole alphabet, and kind of, kind of a cute thing, and well done. So it's, uh, oh, I'm going to forget her last name, Rose. I put it in a pile here. <laughs> uh, did a great job of this, and I'm not sure it didn't really explain how it's done, but it appears to be a live squirrel and just looking through all this stuff, so kind of neat. I uh, want to thank uh, everybody at the Detroit Lakes Festival of Birds and also to everybody at Pillars of Mankato for allowing me to bloviate in their company. <laughs> I watched a red-headed woodpecker, and, you know, I was taken with its beauty because many woodpeckers have some red on their heads, but the red-headed woodpecker sets the standard. He's the gold standard of red heads. By the turn of the 20th century, red-headed woodpeckers had suffered population declines due to several factors. Road mortality, competition with European starlings for nesting cavities, and the harvesting of their feathers all contributed to the decline. Their population of many avian species were reduced to provide feathers for women's hats, uh, red-headed woodpeckers were one of those. Farmers killed red-headed woodpeckers because they damaged fruit and berry crops. And then further population declines were observed from the 30s on. Ha- again, habitat loss, the limited availability of nesting sites, and road mortality worsened this decline. And, and while I was watching this red-headed woodpecker, a turkey vulture flew over. And he's also a lovely redhead, although his head is bald. But I heard someone somewhere, and I can't tell you who or where, described one as unpleasantly beautiful. And I thought, yeah, that's a pretty good description because I think they are beautiful birds. I took photos of trumpeter swans on a day when I'd enjoyed the company of bald eagles, wood ducks, and a peregrine falcon. And the remarkable recovery of these four species reminded me that in this time of population decline for many birds, waterfowl and raptors are doing well. And it caused me to look at the illustrations of the Sibley Guide to Birds. Uh, This book weighs as much or more than a red-tailed hawk. (laughs) Just to marvel at the colors of the wood duck. What a beautiful thing. Uh, Folks, in early to mid-June... 
two to three weeks after the goslings hatch, adult Canada geese molt, and then they're unable to fly for about a month. Goslings cannot fly until around mid-July when they're 8 to 12 weeks old. And during the molt, resident geese lose their flight feathers and they remain flightless from mid-June to early July. The vulnerability causes the geese to become secretive. So they go off to secret places where they feel safe and they're places also that provide food and water. So the goslings fly in about 63 days of age, and adults in about 32 days after losing their flight feathers. Heard from a lot of great folks. Jody Bollinger of Albert Lee had turkey vultures perched on a roof of a house she was visiting in St. Ansgar, Iowa. Jane Agerdahl said she saw her first monarch near Medford on May 21st, and on May 24th she saw one in her yard in Faribault. She said the milkweeds are about halfway up, so it should be a good monarch here. I heard a barred owl below my place in the Strait River. So thank you, Jane. Yeah, I saw um, yesterday I was just out wandering around the yard and saw a lot of little uh, pearl crescents, uh, there were monarchs here and there, and I saw a morning cloak, so it was a great butterfly day. My my son now, Grant said he saw his first monarch this, this past week as well, so there's one in Mankato I know as well. It's just great to see them, and I, I, you know, I write down everything, so I was checking back, and I get them here. They're the mid-May monarchs. They're here mid-May pretty much every year, but I'm seeing a few more um, early than I did last year. So whether that's a, yeah, any kind of measurement of anything, I really can't say, but just in my yard, that's the case. Uh, Nels Thompson lives by Hope, Minnesota. He saw Swainson's hawk was on County Road 45. It's a road that kind of runs from uh, Geneva, Ellendale area into Owatonna. Uh, Daniel Otten of Hayward saw a peregrine falcon take a wood duck out of the air. Uh, Tom Belshin of Glenville saw a pair of ospreys. Kent Gernander said, Al, hummingbirds have been feeding here for a few weeks, but today a swarm of hummers have been feeding continuously all morning. The weather turned cold and rainy overnight, and the forecast for tonight and tomorrow is for falling temperatures. Is the swarming related to weather, or might they be mating or nesting, or might they be newer arrivals or something else? said, we miss the bluebirds who apparently suffered losses from harsh weather in February. Uh, Kent, you, uh, all those reasons, uh, they will feed heavier when they can in cold weather because they, they need to because it's harder to feed in cold weather. It could be like a singles bar for hummingbirds <laughs> that you have there. So they're all in there just saying, hey, uh, what's your sign? And there's, so that could be it. And, you know, on pretty much everything that we notice in nature, it could be something else. That's just one of the things. Well, it could be something else, and it could be. So it's nice you're getting to see so many. Some could have been, uh, this was uh, probably a week ago when I got this from Kent. So some could be 
they could be late arrivals too, just kind of getting off the bus and uh, being met by other hummingbirds. So it's it's really neat to see them. I want to talk about hummingbirds. You mentioned hummingbirds when I was out at the lake um, the last weekend. I was sitting on the steps just looking out at the lake, and all of a sudden I heard the the, the distinguished you know of the hummingbird. And we have uh, on the hillside it's planted with junipers. And for some reason, it was flitting from branch to branch of the juniper. And I didn't know, do now junipers have berries? Do they also have flowers? I guess I've really noticed, never noticed that hummingbirds can get nectar from because I was curious why it would go from, you know, branch to branch at the tips. Um, and I never really thought of them as a source of, of nectar for them. So I'm just curious. And they were probably, uh, you know, insects were hard to find. And perhaps they can find insects down in uh, juniper, maybe a little bit uh, heavily vegetative. They could find things down in there. So that might have been part of the reason. Uh, They do have flowers, but they're... Pretty insignificant, aren't they? Yeah, they're like cone-like structures, I guess would be the best way I could describe them. So they wouldn't be, I wouldn't think, very good at producing any kind of nectar. But, you know, boy, hummingbirds can find stuff anywhere. And they might be down in there just getting a drink because it's amazing that some of these things, like these little flowering parts of juniper or even the needles on cases, will hold a little bit of water that they can come down and get. So I would think insects would probably be the main reason they were down in there. And it could be just uh, part of the hunt, too. Oh. Uh, curiosity, trying to find something to eat. So only they know for, and I got to add, because I just mentioned it, or it could have been something else. Uh, who knows what they're up to, but it's uh, it's good they're out there. Uh, Rick Mammel, he takes care of a, for the Elberly Audubon Society, they have a bunch of purple martin gourds and houses, and he's the landlord there, and he has found um, starlings in one of the house apartments. And he said, oh, what a messy, what a messy nest. And the starlings, uh, Rick, the good part, he said, oh, there was feathers, rootlets, plastic, cloth you name it. I've seen um, corn husks, dried leaves, pine needles, uh, sometimes uh, oh, real green vegetation that will even be put in there. And as Rick wondered what to do with them, well, I'm seeing young starlings all over in my yard now. I don't know where they came from, but they're in there. They're sort of a brownish gray or grayish brown, whichever way you want to go on them. So I guess they'd be leaving the nest there soon. Uh, Rick asked what he could do with them, and I don't tell anybody what to do in this case or pretty much any case, but state and federal laws don't protect starlings, so it is legal to remove their nests. Mm-hmm. You can destroy the eggs, uh, the birds. Uh, it's not against the law in this case. But again, I'm not telling you, Rick. <laughs> uh, Molly Miller said uh, black-capped chickadees nesting in her yard fledged yesterday. I first saw them excavating a hole in a really dead stump on March 3rd. A second pair started excavations in a different area on March 7th. And a third pair I noticed excavating on March 18th. 
And a fourth pair is currently building a nest in a nest box. So, man, she's got uh, she's got everybody's chickadees. People wondering where their chickadees are. Molly Miller has them. <laughs> she said the uh, hairy, downy, and red-bellied woodpeckers are all feeding nestlings. The yellow-bellied sapsuckers are weirdly behind everyone else. I first noticed their excavation on March 23rd, but they dilly-dallied until much later. Oh, I used to hear that when I was a kid. Don't dilly-dally or don't lollygag. <laughs> or Those don't frog around. I, the thing I always got was, stop frogging around, and I don't know where that Is came there? from either. Yeah, because, you know, to go to bed at night, you'd try and think of excuses and come out and get a drink of water or whatever. My my parents would always say, stop frog, quit frogging around. So I always tell my oh, kids that I've, now. And I don't know what that means exactly, but that's I've, what my parents said. I've not heard that. Yeah, we'd get the case of the giggles <laughs> and bad, you know. And the harder you'd try, and one would say something just incredibly stupid, or being boys make a really idiotic sound of some kind. And then, uh, then we'd hear those giggles, and then my dad would yell up through the register, "Don't make me have to come up there!" And of course, he never came up there, so he wasn't going to come up there. But it was, uh, yeah, we. These uh, yellow-bellied sapsuckers, they are uh, cool things. They make those little notches in sap-producing trees early on, and it helps our hummingbirds get through the spring because they will come in and feed a little bit on the sap and also the insects attracted to the sap. Uh, Molly Miller said uh, house finches have started bringing their uh, devil-horned fledglings to the feeders. Yeah, they have like uh, double little cowlicks uh, very often, the little house finch fledglings. White-breasted nuthatches have thrown out their nest knot hole, were thrown out of their nest knot hole by a gray squirrel. And the northern flickers and pileated woodpeckers we had coming to our feeders all winter abandoned us. Uh, Ms. Lona, thank you, Ms. Lona, uh, Save Our Monarchs. She sent me some information on that, and it's a wonderful organization. It's at saveourmonarchs.org. Uh, Rita Granson birded Parker's Woods in uh, Mason City, found a morning warbler in a red start. She went up to the Shell Rock River Green Belt, found 48 species, uh, lark sparrows, scarlet tanagers, yellow-billed cuckoo, yellow-throated vireo, and she saw a western tanager. She said there's a dead tree where an indigo bunting was singing. The western tanager flew in and chased the indigo bunting away, and then a red-winged blackbird flew in and chased the tanager away, sort of a king of the mountain. Uh, Mary Gugisberg of Freeborn, she's also seeing fledged starlings. Linda Kostet of Heartland, an eastern wood peewee. Jody Swenson of Albert Lee, a yellow-crowned night heron. Cheryl Holzer saw a cattle egret in Nicollet County. I love seeing cattle egrets. Uh, Brian Smith saw a Henslow sparrow, a blue grosbeak, an American avocet. Uh, the uh, grosbeak and the avocet, whoops, I'm taking it back. The American avocet was at High Island Lake, and the Henslow sparrow and the blue grosbeak was at the Woodlake WMA. Uh, blue grosbeaks are really cool. When you first see them, it looks like um, giant indigo bunting. Doug Keezer in Sibley County saw a Dunlin 
and uh, also a common turn there. And again, those are at High Island Lake, the same place where Brian Smith saw the things. Uh, Sharon Holzer saw an eastern towhee in Brown County, and John Schlodweiler in Watton County saw a sanderling and a white-faced ibis. These are both south of Medelia. Tom Bover saw a Connecticut warbler in Rice County. Brad Abendroth, a lesser black-backed black -backed gull in Watton County. And Luke Hollander had a northern Mockingbird in Olmstead County, and Doug Keyser also saw a Canada Warbler in Nicollet County. Got a call this morning from Dave Horning of Glenville, and he described a bird had flown into his window and sadly did not uh, survive. Mm -hmm. And it was a black-billed cuckoo, and uh, the cuckoos were rain crows when I was a kid. Dad, when we'd hear the cuckoos call, he said, we better get that hay up, it's going to rain, and uh, you know, sometimes it did and sometimes it didn't. The cuckoos would call a lot if there was thunder anywhere. They would hear the thunder and then respond to that. And But when I'm out in the garden doing something and I hear the cuckoos call, I figure, boy, I better hurry up because it's going to rain. So you can't get that out of your head, I guess. Somebody, uh, oh, and there's no name on it, said, did women, you mentioned on your show that women wearing birds on their hats at one time. Is that true? Well, if you hear it here, of course it's true. Uh, Sitch Fashion would lay an egg today, but in the late 19th and early 20th century, birds were killed for their feathers. On Manhattan's Ladies Mile, which was a principal shopping district then, retail stores sold the feathers of snowy egrets, white ibises, and great blue herons, stuffed owl heads found their way onto a hat. Just think about that for a minute. Stuffed owl head on your hat. Yeah. <laughs> At Cape Cod, 40,000 turns were killed in one season by one agent of the feather trade. Uh, Frank Chapman, who was an ornithologist and field guide writer, described heron massacres this way. Mercilessly, they were shot down at their at their roosts or nesting grounds. The coveted feathers are stripped from their backs. The carcasses are left to rot, while the young in the nest above are starving. Mm. Entire songbirds were used on many hats, and they were mounted on wires and springs that permitted the heads and wings of the birds to move in a natural manner. Chapman counted 40 different species of birds on women's hats in New York City over just two two days in 1886, but somebody came to the rescue. In 1896, a wealthy Boston socialite, Harriet Lawrence Hemingway, read an article about feather hunting, and she was upset by what the article described, and she took action. She contacted her cousin, Minna B. Hall, and together those two ladies organized a series of teas where they asked the wealthy ladies who attended to stop wearing hats with feathers. <laughs> and over 900 women joined the cause, and they boycotted feathers' hats. In 1896, you'll remember that women didn't have the right to vote, and they had difficulty being taken seriously by politicians because they didn't have the right to vote, and other powerful people. And Hemingway, yet Hemingway, convinced 
scientists and Bostonian men to help her form the Massachusetts Audubon Society. And that's the oldest Audubon Society in the country, which in 1897 played a... just a major role in convincing that state's legislature to outlaw the wild bird feather trade. And then uh, the Migratory Bird Treaty Act of 1918 made it unlawful unless licensed or permitted to pursue, hunt, take, capture, kill, possess, sell, purchase, barter, import, export, or transport any migratory bird or any part of that bird. So, again, I I just, it's one of the things I love talking about. We always think that one person cannot make a difference. Well, man, Harriet Lawrence Hemingway made a difference, and she had so many things uh, going against her at that time. Uh, I guess the one thing she had going for her, she was a wealthy socialite, and she knew folks, but it's still, she made a major difference. Uh, a text from somebody said, what kind of jelly should I feed my Orioles? Uh, grape jelly is good. The why, darker, why grape? Does it matter or because it's cheapest? Uh, I think it's the cheapest, and some scientists and have done some research and said it mimics pretty much what they're getting as far as as nectar and fruit in the wild. I I don't know if that's exact on that. I do know that they like it. The darker, the better. And I'm guessing that's because it's sweeter. So as you can imagine, sugar-free, they probably aren't going to care quite so much for it. I'm sure they'll try it and go, ew, this isn't our regular jelly. I have found that the birds will take orange marmalade when I've run out of grape jelly. I've tried other things. Orange marmalade, cherry, strawberry, apple, raspberry, jams or jellies. I've tried all those, and they they will eat them. And all brands are good, but again, I, I mention this often, but a woman told me that her Orioles ate only Welch's. She tried Smucker's, but they ignored it, so she gave it to her husband because he will eat anything. <laughs> uh, some people add crushed grapes to grape jelly for additional nutrition, and some folks now during nesting will put out some mealworms separately to feed the Orioles so they can feed them to their youngsters. But, yeah, it's worth, uh, I, I'm, you know, I get shopping once in a while and I'm wandering down those aisles because I'm lost because they move things in the store so I can't find where I am. And I will see a sale on grape jelly. No matter what time of year it is, I'll seem to buy a couple of them and just kind of stock up so I got them. And I don't get any complaints. I don't feed them Welch's or Smucker's. I usually it's a store brand of some kind. And um, they seem to be happy with it. They eat a lot. And it's not just the Orioles, but I get a lot of other birds. Uh, cat birds uh, love and love grape jelly, and cat birds are uh, another one of my favorite birds. I just love seeing them. Although, again, this morning, 4.30 at cat birds <laughs> outside my bedroom window, uh, trying out his tunes. And he, he's not real robust, but he's singing them <laughs> plenty loud for me to hear. And, you know, a lot of these old farmhouses, they have a um, giant arborvitae growing by the corners of the house, and that's what we have there. And that's where he starts out his morning, just trying out his routine there. And uh, I I want to 
correct him on a couple of things because I think he's going wrong or the wrong way there. But it's uh, 4.30 every morning he's out there singing. So I, I know that if you really want a lot of birds, I've noticed arborvitae seems to be the way to attract them because I go by houses with lots of arborvitae and they are just fluttering and flittering and twittering with birds. So they must just provide really great cover and that's why they like them. Yeah, um, security is a big thing, and and house sparrows love arborvitae. I know I I'll walk by mine at night sometimes. Doing I go for walks at night because I, I I don't know it's a, it's a chronic problem walking, and I walk by there and I'll chase them on the arborvitae, and <laughs> I just soon all my house sparrows. I don't mind house sparrows, but. Uh, I don't need a hundred of them in the arborvitae. <laughs> they can go over to Duke, my neighbor. And then I feel bad because I've chased them out of there and think, well, I just hope they find someplace because I'll admit it, I, I like house sparrows. I, um, Do you think Duke likes hard... them all, though? Uh, probably not as much, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's a good guy, but I uh, I don't know if he likes them as much as I do. I, I think they're pretty... And in winter, when I'm out there just freezing my tukas off, there they are, chirping cheerily. Uh, just, uh, you know, they they seem to be happy in the coldest of winter days. And, boy, we need that little bit of reinforcement when we're out there because I don't know if folks have noticed, but humans, we have a tendency to whine sometimes. And it's good when we can look at a little bird out there, and he's just, oh, he's so cheerful and just getting on with the day, and he's not complaining about how cold it is or anything. Well, you know, I guess we don't know that. Maybe that's what he's chirping about. But it sounds cheerful to us, and it's, um, so I, I like him. I just can't not like him. And, and I always hear about bad birds, and I and folks, you've heard me say this many times. I don't believe there are any bad birds. Birds are just doing what they were meant to do. And uh, the best thing we can do, I guess, is enjoy them. Do, oh, here's from a youngster. Do ladybugs sleep, and why are they called ladybugs? <laughs> I think they do probably sleep, mostly at night, but they probably don't close their eyes and fall asleep as we do. I'm guessing they would go in like most insects into kind of a resting period and they just remain still and unresponsive for hours in tree bark, logs, bushes, cracks in trees, under leaves and dense vegetation or in ground cover. And the name was coined by European farmers who prayed to the Virgin Mary when pests were eating their crops. And after the ladybugs had come, like the cavalry, and destroyed the pests, the farmers named them Beetle of Our Lady. And this was eventually shortened to Lady Beetle and then Ladybug. So it's, uh, I, I saw a bunch of red ones. I was planting some raspberries early and uh, found a bunch of our old, uh, our old red ones, the ones that we see in everybody's hat and apron and sweatshirt and everything, and it was like it was finding uh, old friends while digging a hole, which, you know, you don't want to find a whole lot of old friends that way, I guess, but I was happy to see the ladybugs, and they are just uh, neat little guys, and they don't bite me like uh, the multicolored Asian lady beetles. Say, Al, I've so got a question from our friend sure. um, 
our friend John in New Ulm says, here's an easy one for Al, and every time he says that, we got a groan. Oh, Al, just, yeah. what did the tie say to the hat? Oh, uh, what did they say? I don't know. You go on ahead. I'll hang around. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. John, I heard that one. I should have got it, and I just... <laughs> As, as soon as you say it easy, I'm just doomed. Yeah, I'm doomed I shouldn't. I shouldn't pre- uh, preface it with that because then you'd think it was hard, and then you'd you know, oh. probably get it. So. It's like the teachers. Remember when they used to pass out that test? They'd say, "This is a really easy one." I'd be surprised if anybody got anything wrong on these. And oh, you know, you were. That was it. Did, you were done for. Did you ever have a teacher? We had a teacher who did this um, and gave ter- put a test out. Of course, everybody's anxious to get it doing, so they start doing it right away. And the, the thing the teacher said was make sure to, you know, be sure to read the instructions and follow the instructions carefully, right? And then so the instructions after you get done with the test are um, the only thing you need to do is write your name on the top of this, no more. Oh. And and so then, of course, everybody's like thinking, all right, I got this done, and other people are done way, you know. So as you know, people didn't read the directions because it was obvious, but that was kind of a oh. trick. Cruelty yeah. is what that was. <laughs> but it, but it yeah. really made you think about, huh, maybe I should have read the instructions. Oh, man. No, I didn't. But I'm sure a lot of them probably threatened to do that. Um, thanks, everybody, for sitting on the front porch with Karen and I, and, or Karen and me. Yes. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I'd eaten three dog biscuits from the bag we kept in the barn for the dogs. I know, I know, but they they looked so good, and they were in the shapes of a bone, a fish, <laughs> and a milk bottle. Why wouldn't I eat them? The dog gave me a funny look while I was eating them, like, hey, 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 those are mine. But I have to say, they weren't <laughs> bad. They didn't have a lot of taste, but they weren't bad. And I'd eaten enough that I started asking myself, who's a good boy? Who's a good boy? <laughs> Finally, I answered myself. I said, me. And that day, I signed up to become a school crossing guard. It was stressful work for a grade school student, but I was proud to wear the badge. But getting a squirrel to cross the street in the appropriate spot wasn't easy. Getting my ducks in a row is simpler than getting squirrels in a row. I finally put them on the honor system. Remember, folks, heartless while we're driving past. Thanks for listening to me. Uh, do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. And thank you, Karen, as always, for your exquisite company. Thank you, Al. We'll chat with you next week. Until then, happy bird watching. Thank you. All bye. right, bye-bye.